Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth and scale. I'm your host Alex Thuma and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Good afternoon. Good to be back on the scale stage. I'm, I'm loving these intros by by Stephen uh, Dead. So I'm, I kind of want to get one. I think there's a business there where we can personalize them for individuals. They just wake me up in the morning and tell me how great I am. Get me kind of really, really pumped up. But, uh, yeah, like or follows you around for, to various places to introduce you as you walk into rooms and stuff. Yeah, that, 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 that would be great. But I mean, welcome so your first time uh, to an online SaaS.com conference. So you, you've spoken at, I would say, at least four or five since the beginning and we really appreciate your, your support there every time i do a bit of a steven job here but probably not as good but every time that you speak at a sas.conference it, it's almost the highest rated talk and the room's always packed and and so it's always a given one of the first names that we want to invite back so great to have you uh, you know back for our first online conference at sas.remote and you're actually an investor in hopping which i didn't know when i when i reached out to you yeah, yeah. I guess like uh, I was connected with the folks at Hopin, and when as soon as I had a look at their product, I was like, "Well, if some small team can build all of this," and I, you know, in general, I kind of believe in online events, full stop. This was like pre-COVID, so I, I was like happy I got connected to Johnny, and I was like, "Oh, this is clearly like a very, very polished product built by a very motivated person." So I was immediately kind of impressed. Then, obviously, in January, we started hearing about COVID, and I, and like I kind of. I don't want to say forgotten, but it was kind of on the back of my mind. I was dealing with a lot of other things at the time. And then at one point, I just popped up and I was like, I bet this is going to be excellent for businesses that are betting on more things happening online. And lo and behold, I think I think you know, Hopin has a massive future ahead of it in a world where events are increasingly online. And the idea of like loads of people packed together will become a little more rare, I guess. Similar story without the actual investment. Uh, I mean, I was in- introduced to to hop in about uh, about six months ago by by one of the investors at, at, at Sequoia uh, that eventually invested in Hopin, and they said, you know, Alex, what do you think about the platform? And I was like, well, look, if it does what it says it can do, I think this is going to be very interesting. And you know, I, I I believe in online events, and I wanted us to do something, but it was put on the back shelf. Uh, and then when COVID happened, it was like oh, this is the first platform to kind of look at. But obviously they they've taken off, and I didn't invest any money, so I was not as smart as you. But I'm using the platform at least. But um, but we're talking about uh, today companies like like Hopin, right? Uh, companies that have been finding you know product market fit in, in the new normal. In October, when you joined us on, on stage uh, in, in Dublin for SaaS.19, you keynoted there um, and you opened up talking about there's an epidemic of startup advice. You mentioned that everybody has their interpretation of product market fit, and it just keeps coming. And, and, and I think that's so true. And now we have a new PMF you know, for you and our, our audience. Um, you know, it's unfortunately pandemic market fit. Um, you know, so hopefully this uh, doesn't stick around uh, this term. But what we want to talk about is finding um, you know, a product market fit in the new normal. And we've seen companies like Hopin benefit from what's been happening Zoom major beneficiary since December like has, has been taken off and, and perhaps you, you know will, will be one of the most valuable companies in the, in the world you know at, at some point which maybe we never uh, foresaw but uh, you know what are your thoughts on on why certain companies like like Zoom and, and Hopin are really kind of benefiting from times like these whilst other SaaS companies are, are clearly suffering? I think companies where the core premise has been 
things happening online, let's say collaboration over the internet, let's say meetings over the internet, let's say Slack could be another one, like, you know, Slack fuels conversation over the internet and Zoom obviously is like some another type of communication again. Any of those, their core hypothesis to the entire company has become more true as a result of everyone having to go online for absolutely everything. At the very core, like you didn't mention them, but Shopify are, are, have had like explosive growth, like truly explosive. Look at their stock price. It's insane. And that's because, again, e-commerce has become more true, not less true. And, and then there are sadly other businesses where the hypothesis would be either people are going to be walking down Main Street and they're not, or people are going to be going on holiday and they're not. And, uh, and there are both software and like real world implications for those. For example, like Airbnb, as documented, have had like a real struggle because no one's going on vacation. So, so as a result, their business suffered dramatically. And similarly, it, it goes without saying like, you know, no end of high street is suffering like coffee shops, you know, everyone from like coffee shops to bookstores to like clothes stores, whatever, they're all struggling as well. So I think like what at the very core, the pandemic has sort of shook the foundations of a lot of businesses by basically saying, if you bet on the internet, that bet is going to be very well rewarded. If you are adjacent to non-internet experiences, such as like if you're like, say, a travel website, you're going to struggle. Uh, or if you're steeped in non-internet experiences, like say a bookstore, you're probably going to struggle as well. So we've seen this scramble for every business to go online. But we have also seen, you know, like I was just talking with one of your uh, team about uh, Miro, the, the whiteboarding company, right? Uh, this sort of like on, uh, online whiteboard uh, product. And uh, they're doing really well. I, I would guess uh, we have adopted an intercom. And the reason we have is purely because, well, we used to use a lot of whiteboards and then we don't have them anymore. So we need to, have, we need to replace it. Like, so I think in general, the businesses that do well are ones where like you can kind of draw a straight line between the pandemic and their core hypothesis being true. And then the alternative is unfortunately pretty bad. The only extra piece I'd add on that is um, everyone is like uh, in software, you're like one, two or three or four degrees removed from the real world in the economy or whatever. So as an example, like you might like, you know, let's say baristas might be stuck for salary. So maybe they cancel a lot of their discretionary expenditure. And maybe one of those discretionary expenses is like Spotify. And you're okay because you're not Spotify. But maybe you sell a product to a company who sells a product to Spotify. And maybe Spotify is just contracted. So that means that company's like sort of contracting its own expenses and uh, so so there are, it is the case that like most businesses will be affected positively and negatively by coronavirus the negative will look like usually every like you'd be an idiot if you're running a SaaS company over the last you know six months and you haven't examined your expenses and and i think what, what happens there is a lot of people will find items of discretionary expenditure or let's say items of non-straight line ROI and they'll remove or, or like or decrease the investment in them. I think that's the other side of being affected by Corona. Intercom, I think initially that you, you had some positioning around, you know, uh, and certainly SaaS companies being a, a great sort of market fit for you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a, a more broader positioning for like, it, it's a product for all internet businesses, right? And, and given that uh, and what you've just spoken about, has Intercom, you know, benefited in any way from COVID? Or what has been the impact, you know, for you guys? On the benefit side, basically more businesses going online means more businesses needing to talk to their customers and so on and so forth. And that ultimately 
expands the addressable market for intercom and obviously all our competitors too, not uniquely us. And then on the negative side, a lot of our customers are smaller businesses who've had to examine their costs and now as a result have had to contract. That's just, you know, and, and for what it's worth, I would say I've talked to a lot of uh, various founders over the last eight weeks and I'd say Everett feels some element of the smooth and some element of the rough. And it kind of really depends on the whether or not like the rough outweighs the smooth really depends on like your position in the market. Are you up market or down market? What are your customers in annual contracts or month to month? Could they have contracted if they wanted to? How essential are you? How stitched in are you? Are you deeply integrated, et cetera? Like they're the sort of like uh, wobbles that people have. For us, I think we, like, we've definitely seen a, an uptick in interest because a lot of customer support still today is done through things like call centers. And a call center is like a bad idea in, in current times. You don't put like 600 people into a small room and have them like less than a meter apart uh, in the middle of a pandemic. So as a result, people are scrambling to say, well, if we can't do phone support, what can we do? And the answer are technologies like Intercom. So like there's definitely been that side of it as well, for sure. The, the companies that we, we, we talked about you know, earlier, hopping in Zoom, they both seem to build this sort of virality into their product. What is it that, you know, some, fa- uh, how are they figuring this out? Are the founders, you know, figuring out some secret way to, to build virality that's helping them get to PMF quicker? What are your thoughts around that? There's a few pieces to that question. I guess some things are just inherently viral. Like, as an example, a conference has a sense of virality to it. If it's a good conference, I'll go back and I'll tell my friends about it. But more than that, like if I'm going, I'm probably going to tell my friends I'm going and they might buy tickets because I'm going. And so there's, there's some inherent shareable element to that that perhaps isn't true for like, like let's pick a normal real world product, like a travel mug or something, right? Uh, where like this would have to be a pretty exceptional one for me to start talking about it uh, spontaneously. So, and like as a, a more obvious example, a Zoom call, as, as you know, both people need to use it. You wanted to speak to me, so as a result, I'm on Zoom, and you you'd already chosen Zoom, and you probably chose Zoom because somebody made you install Zoom to get on a call with them. So it kind of there's an inherent virality in some domains, and I think that's where um, that's where like the, the the most viral businesses thrive. I think like in 2011, 2012, Facebook started to circulate this idea of like the I don't want to say the forced virality, but like the, the let's say the inorganic virality. So like uh, Spotify had this thing where you could connect your Spotify account to your Facebook account. And now your friends would start seeing what music you're listening to. That worked really well for Spotify because then they could click with other friends who didn't have Spotify could click play, hear a sample of a song, go and download, and the product would spread virally across your social network. And I think that was the first wave of inorganic virality as in programming virality unfortunately like some people take that too far and they they end up really like trying to bolt it on rather than it being baked into their product so you'll see a lot of this like click here to connect via slack but ps we're not going to tell you this but we're going to spam everyone on slack the very second you click here Uh, and like that sort of or like would you like to uh, you know if you upload your address book to us you can find your friends quicker Spoiler, we're also going to spam the shit out of all your friends over the next two weeks. And, and so I think you see the inorganic stuff. And that's the sadly, that tends to be the one that gets more marketing and more literature. Like the growth hacker movement would, would kind of uh, be like, that's, that's the best way to do it. I think I worry with that type of virality that it's like, it's easy come, easy go. People will quickly realize what you're up to and they'll deactivate or disconnect or whatever it is they have to do to prevent you from doing your thing. 
whereas the organic stuff is a lot stronger. On the product market fit side, I don't like virality is ultimately how you heard about it. Uh, but there's there's a separate concept like so how you how you actually install the product is kind of irrelevant once it's installed uh, because it's all about now are you using it and is it any good for you and that's kind of the definition of product market fit in a sense. The other piece that people will often confuse here is network effect. So some products are better if all your friends and contacts are using them. Like like LinkedIn gets better the more people use LinkedIn. If there was only one person on LinkedIn, it's not a useful product. So like uh, so the network effect means the more people using it makes the product itself inherently better. And I think that's the other, other piece of this. Like Zoom does not benefit by more people using it, with, with possibly the exception that there's more Zoom accounts floating around. But it's like this video call isn't any better for the fact that there's like 5 million other people using Zoom right now. If anything, it's possibly worse. So I think you, know, you shouldn't confuse like the a product getting better because a lot of people are using it from virality, which is just ultimately how it spreads. And neither of those two have necessarily got to do with a product market fit, which is more to do with like, is there a large amount of people using the product in the same way and getting the same similar results and sticking around over a long enough period of time to like to be monetized or to start paying for it or whatever? So, you know, there's a few different concepts there. Obsessing about customers has been common advice from a lot of the founders I'm speaking to this year and especially during COVID. Staying close to the customers, I, I would say, is, is being a, a mantra, you know, as, as such. I think even Andy Byrne, when he opened his, his session today, his keynote, he talked about giving your customers a big bear hug. And what I'd like to know is what have Intercom been sort of doing in this respect? I think, are you talking about pandemic specific or just in general? Yeah, I think pandemic specific. Yeah, you're correct. I mean, like we built Intercom ultimately as a way to connect businesses with customers. So it's obviously been a, a sort of a core part of our hypothesis from the beginning. Once Corona started to break, the first thing we did was started speaking to customers to work out what, what, what was going on. So when we saw different types of behaviors, we saw some businesses go immediately into panic mode because they were directly affected. They were like travel websites, booking, ticketing, all that sort of stuff. Uh, they were like immediately scrambling in like in like desperate ways. And, and like the best things we could do there was like kind of help them uh, like, you know, give them a discounted period or like forgo payment for a while or whatever, just to sort of let them like take, take stock and actually work out what was important. The other thing we looked at is from a product point of view, what's changed. And I think we've seen two main areas where we've been working. One has been, most businesses, and you've probably seen this banner yourself a hundred million times, like most businesses have been looking to be proactive about saying like, before we even engage with any conversation, here's what's going on with our business cause of coronavirus. And that could be like shipping is being delayed or our call centers are under high load or we're processing, we're processing refunds over here or whatever. So based on, on that sort of persistent feedback, we built this, this banner inside the messenger, which is, you know, it turned out to be a useful tool for all sorts of reasons. But it basically means the very second you go to start talking to a business, there's like a banner at the very top that says like coronavirus, here's the situation, blah, 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 blah. And it's got the, the appropriate hot links out or whatever. That has been like, you know, that, you know, we turned that around. I think our, our folks in SF did that in like about four days, but it was, it was really like, what's the first thing we could do? And that was really well appreciated. The other stuff we've been looking at of late has been more in, for folks who are currently stuck in a call center and what we what can we do for them so we're we're, we're working on some like let's say like technical spikes to see what's feasible there that we could do to sort of alleviate that pain the role of retention during a, a pandemic again especially important and, and for those SaaS companies and those here that are serving smbs that may have been to the hardest hits perhaps you know as they're viewed as non-essential subscriptions and you know getting cancellations what can startups do to present, prevent themselves from, I, I guess, this new churn that we're seeing? 
Yeah, the hard part is like a lot of the advice or like a lot of the things I'm about to say are kind of like both not useful or actionable today and not useful or actionable probably say six or seven weeks ago when this whole thing kicked off either. What I'd say is the answer is you have to be essential. That's ultimately it. If like there's a, a, a phrase that's as old in Silicon Valley as like, I don't know, money phrases is like be a painkiller, not a vitamin. The argument being you don't forget to take your headache tablet. You do forget to take your vitamin D or whatever, right? And I think there are fundamental assumptions about business that will always be true. You have to charge money. I doubt Stripe have seen a lot of churn during this period. You have to talk to your customers. You have to sign them up. They have to, you, they have to be able to connect to your database. They have to be able to use your product. So there are some sort of core things. And then there are some things that are uh, not as essential, even though they fuel growth. So let's say you have to A-B test a certain type of landing page, or you have to A-B test, in Intercom's case, like a certain uh, type of outbound message. You actually don't have to A-B test it. It's just better. So like, that's an example of an area where like, you might be investing, but it's not, like, it's not core to the idea. And then you can go further and further down and you can sort of say, well, do you need to have a paid online subscription to a font database that lets you demonstrate your, your, like, your landing pages in multiple different fonts? And like, right, that's an even more uh, debatable essential, right? And you can keep going all the way down like until you end up with, like, uh, you know, with tools that are kind of like, right, I can see how this saves everyone one mouse click, but we can't afford it at like $10 a seat. So I think that the trick is like, if there is one, is just find the essential workflows in your product that are like uh, immovable and make sure that you're very, very good, if not the best at them. In general, the advice in software is like, you should be the only person who does it. And if that's not possible, you should be the best person who does it. And if that's not possible, you're going to start to struggle. You can then, you can try and be the cheapest or you can try and be the fastest. You can find your sub niche where you can definitely perform. But I think when you're in a space where like it was always in the nice to have category, you absolutely had a credible business and you will have a credible business. I would say like eight out of 10 years, but every now and then, you know, people are for some exogenous circumstance need to perform a dramatic reexamination of every dollar that leaves the building. And, and some items will get literally skipped over because it's just not an option to quit them. Like email, like for example, we pay Gmail $7 a seat. We're not about to go back and negotiate, I don't think. Whereas there are other items where you're like, hmm, maybe we don't need this. We don't use it that much or we use it, but it's not that important. Or like only four people use it, but we're paying for 12 seats or versions of that. That's the sort of like the, what I would call like the weaker revenue. A dollar isn't equal to a dollar, if you know what I mean. Like if you look at say SaaS doc, uh, you're not looking at Hoppin's line, line expense and being like, oh, I wonder, do we need that anymore? Like you're sitting here going, we have no choice. This is absolutely, we don't have an event if we don't have happen. And, and like, that's like, you want to get as close to that as possible. I know we've got seven minutes left here. So I, I, I want to have the opportunity to bring in some questions from the audience. If you have uh, any for Des to, to, to have some uh, interaction uh, with those that are with us. So if we can bring those in, if the audience, or if you start sort of populating your questions for Des now, I guess whilst we wait for the questions, I think just in summary, you know, what would be the, the, the kind of key things that a SaaS company, a SaaS startup needs to be kind of focusing on if they're searching for product market fit now during these times? I think one of two things, you have one of two approaches, find something essential and be very, very good at it, if not unique. And essential ideally looks like our business will be fundamentally better or fundamentally, uh, if we have this, or fundamentally broken if we don't. And... And then you need to be able to draw a straight line 
between like using your product and bottom line impact. So uh, like, like, you know, anyone who's ever worked in enterprise sales knows there's, there's a conversation that always goes something like this. Hey, Joey, I've got two numbers I care about. Here's how much money we spend and here's how much money we make. Which of these numbers are you going to affect and how? And if, if you're trying to sell into that business and you're Joey in this case, you're going to like, you need to be able to answer that question in a very believable way. We will grow your business because we are going to increase customer onboarding percentages by 12% at a price that's far less than the accretive value to your to your company. But like, okay, how are you gonna do that? Here's our product. Let me walk you through it. You know, and then here's 10 reference customers or whatever. The alternative approach, if you can't do that, is you have to just wait it out. Raise a million, keep fucking money, sorry, keep uh, keep your burn really low and build, 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 build. And we will come out the far side of this and people will become a little bit more experimental and open-minded about what they actually want to invest in and the areas that they need to like to like experiment in. And, and that then you might be able to pitch them on like, hey, I noticed the developer productivity is suffering. Well, here's a tool for blah, 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 like, uh, you know, for like automating testing across multiple browser types or something like that. And then people be like, yes, well, we do actually have some budget freed up. And this does seem to be a time sink for our 10 engineers. But like, you, you either wait this out or you have to have something essential to offer today. I haven't had any questions from the audience yet, but I'm sure Stephen Cummins is probably going to have a couple for you. But before we, we go to Stephen, uh, a non-SAS question. When lockdown ends, and I guess there's kind of insight, which pub in Dublin are you going to go to first? You know, I'm actually working on this right now. It's a, it's a P0 for me. The pub I'll probably go to uh, is, I think, Grogan's. However, the... Um, the challenge for me is, I, I, so pubs open on the 29th of June, and I'm currently looking to see, uh, uh, the definition right now is you have to be able to serve food. So we're trying to work out what's the best pub that happens to serve food, and does a ham and cheese toasty count as food? Yeah, um, uh, that, that's the one I, I would have picked, and, and this yeah. is that's the pub I miss the most, but I'm obviously in, in the UK. I see a question here, yeah. uh, I'll just about read it. So Matthias Bellman says, what changes do you see coming in the prosumer market in the months to come? It's a good question. It's a market that uh, like we have within Intercom. We we're, we're, uh, we benefit from this market slash we're exposed to this market. I've seen two things happen. Uh, one is prosumer usually is connected to like expensive uh, luxury is too har- harsh a word, but like but, you know like high end stuff. Let's say like so really nice cameras, really nice you know fancy iPads, that sort of stuff, right? And I think in general, people if your core customer has been affected from a salary point of view then you're going to struggle selling prosumer right now. On the flip side, though, there is a lot more, for people who still are getting paid their normal salary, there's a lot more disposable income in their lives by virtue of the fact that they're not spending it anywhere else. There's no meals, there's no restaurants, there's no pubs, there's no events, there's no travel. So people are like trying to entertain themselves in their, in their home. So you actually, there is an opportunity there for a lot of people. And you've seen, say, Peloton did really well out of this. I think uh, Tonal will do really well out of this. Tonal is the mirror that it t- t- teaches you how to lift weights or whatever. Uh, so I think you're going to see a, a lot of, I, I would bet, for example, Masterclass will do well out of this. I think there, you know, if you can attach it to like the board at home use case, you'll do well. If If you can't do that, I think you'll struggle, especially if you're selling a luxury good that implies people are in the outdoors. I think that's going to be a difficult one for, again, for a couple of months. We don't know, but like, yeah, I, I would advise people to hang tight on that. Mr. As I see Stevens here. Yeah. Uh, great talk. Great talk, Des. Just before I come to you, I just want to just mention, give a shout out for the shirt. It looks familiar. I've got a few of those in my house. That wouldn't be like President or Peak Performance Club from 
Salesforce in Hawaii by any chance? Or, or is that just, uh, you just, or you just like that? I, I've never been in the President's Club in Salesforce, having never uh, worked with them. But um, uh, there, there may be some inspiration, though, from uh, Mark, Mark Benioff somewhere. That, that was their loss. That was their, that was their loss. Sorry, go on, Des. I say that the fact that you thought you could guess where that shirt's from says a lot about everyone on this call, I think. <laughs> I had to bring it up. I had to bring it up. You know, I, it, it, that's the courage of the entrepreneur, you know. Des, yeah, I tell you what, absolutely. everyone's talking COVID all the time, and there's about 100 questions I could ask you. But just on a lighter note, uh, something that's always, I've always been curious about. I remember a Twitter debate once with DHH, who gave a phenomenal talk yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you're an admirer of his, as are your co-founders, mm-hmm. uh, and Jason Fried. And there was kind of a big debate, uh, a bit of a hot debate between DHH and, and Owen, your CEO. I'm sure you know the one. It was a kind of a circuitous conversation because you guys went yeah. down the let's augment our business fundraising. with, with yeah. fundraising with, you know, a la Stripe, mm-hmm. Salesforce. And they, they've mm-hmm. taken this very, very uh, Spartan approach, yeah. so, which is fair enough. Both, both work and both are totally valid. And you both have a lot in, in common in terms of your culture. You want that, you know, organic growth that you're talking about. You both have beautiful uh, kind of employee cultures, uh, from what I can see. Um, but something that just uh, struck me is that Jason often goes on to podcasts and gives out about VCs, but he's mm-hmm. an investor in Intercom. How did that happen? I think like, it happened because we spoke to Jason very, very, very early on in Intercom. He emailed to say he thought it was a cool product. He actually posted a tweet initially to say this is a cool product idea. I wish I'd thought of it. And we've sort of spoken with it. Myself and Owen have met with Jason many times over the years. And then when, when a round was coming together, we just asked him, was he interested? He said, sure. But I think for him, it was more about like being along for the ride so that he could continue the conversations or, and like, I guess, like, I, you know, it's, I, I don't think he's somebody who invests with a view towards eventually becoming a venture capitalist. I think it's more like when something yeah. interesting is happening, I li- I'd like to be in the mixer. And, and I think that that's all that was, I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't uh, ascribe any, any more to it than that, but he's like, obviously it goes without saying he's somebody we all look up to and like, you know, I think I, I, you know, I, I genuinely think he's possibly the single least, uh, most underappreciated person who's had an impact on the largest number of sort of SaaS companies. It, like, you know, full stop, you know, genuinely. Oh, yeah, I like, agree. Uh, as in, he's like, like I was, I, I, we had him on our podcast a while ago and I was talking about like the Getting Real book that they've done. And I'm like, I've most founders who've gone public, like let's take Sh- Toby from Shopify, would cite the Rails framework, which Shopify is built on. Yeah. And the DHH. 37 Signals, uh, yeah, and the 37 Signals crew, aka yeah. now Basecamp, as being an inspiration as to how they got started. And like, that's like a 60, 70 billion dollar company. I actually don't know what the market cap is, but I'm going to assume it's, it's way into high billions. Like, that, and that's just one example. I bet you there are like hundreds more. And then that's yeah. just the public companies. I bet you there's like thousands more privates as well. Like, I just, like, the, the impact that that company has had on the software industry will be, I believe, underestimated for like decades to come. Maybe, maybe forever. And it's actually, uh, it's great to hear. I, I think there's a, you know, people can just wake up in the morning and take the path they want to take. What I like about yourself and the intercom guys when you talk is that you've maintained your authenticity. You're totally, you're as if I was sitting here having a cup of coffee with you. Um, and that's, I hope you hold on to that as you scale, because you're going to scale even more now with that, with, with what's going on. But I think maybe that's a big differential in, because VC is just a tool after all. It does warp the market yeah. a bit, but it's a tool. And I mean, you, you yeah. didn't make the market. You live in it. You've got to do the best you can inside that. But uh, yeah, rock on. Keep the keep the authenticity, Des. And uh, well, thank you very sh- much. No worries. You're welcome. And keep the shirt on, Alex. Keep the I shirt will. on. It's great. It's great.
Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SaaS conferences around the world.